Welcome to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance, And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that daily supplement. I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off 
your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. Um, so let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. So I am recording from a bathroom um, on my phone because we are in Montenegro in a really, really tiny apartment. It's like a tiny home. And we didn't know that it was a, going to be a very noisy place, a very noisy location. Um, and so I've kind of hidden in the bathroom because of all the external noises um, and I can't set up my mic in here because it's a small space. So recording on my phone and you can probably hear cars in the background because um, it's a very loud road. So here we are. Um, so today's episode is about snacking and whether it's bad for the endo belly. I had a client recently ask me this question and she's not alone. I've had this question asked many times in the past and many who come to me for chronic endo belly are worried that their snacking habits are making things worse. It's a concern for her as one of her key challenges is chronic painful bloating. And this isn't the first time this has been raised to me. A lot of my clients come to me believing their snacking is a problem. And I think depending on who you follow on social media, many of you may already have an idea in your mind about whether you believe snacking is quote unquote good or bad. Uh, because I think that some practitioners demonize snacking, some practitioners discourage it. Um, and I kind of want to take a middle ground in today's episode. That's kind of what I'm always trying to do. I, I really don't ever want to be too black and white with anything because I don't really think much is black and white. And I just, I don't necessarily think that that is a fair way to approach nutrition. I think that kind of way of thinking can cause a lot of problems emotionally and physically. Um, anyway, that's a side tangent. Um, so this is a tricky question to answer, but let's start with what happens to the gut when we snack. So between meals, two hours after you've eaten, a cleaning process is switched on um, in your small intestine. The small intestine should only house food for about two hours and then the food moves on and the rest of digestion occurs in the large intestine. This process is like a wave-like motion that kind of clears the small intestine of food debris and bacteria that should actually be in the large intestine. And this in turn keeps the small intestine clear and prevents gas, bloating, etc. That can occur if food and bacteria are allowed to build up in there. Every time we eat or drink something that has calories in, so say a flavoured water or a coffee with milk, a black coffee, a black tea, a green tea, these things would be fine. It turns the migrating motor complex off. So that's what this is called, this kind of cleaning process called the migrating motor complex. However, this process, the MMC, kicks in overnight too, when we're essentially fasting between meals, right? Between dinner and breakfast. 
In someone without small intestine bacterial overgrowth and without any other gut problems like microbiome imbalances, the overnight fast is typically enough to keep on top of things. Though, you know, I would say a decent break between meals is the ideal scenario for gut health and for keeping insulin levels down. Now, to be clear, in case you're a new listener to the podcast, small intestine bacterial overgrowth is a condition where bacteria are living in abnormal levels in the small intestine. The small intestine houses a very tiny number of bacteria, whereas in contrast, there's lots in the large intestine. And because the small intestine was not designed to house bacteria in this way, when SIBO does occur, we get damage to the small intestine and difficulty absorbing nutrients. It's, it's a really problematic condition. And the other thing I should explain that I just mentioned is insulin. We want to keep insulin levels down. We talk about blood sugar, glucose, and insulin a lot in this podcast, so you can go back and listen to all of those episodes. But if you're new here, here's a super quick breakdown. When we eat carbohydrates, they break down into glucose, which is absorbed into the bloodstream. This process triggers the release of a hormone called insulin, which delivers the glucose to the cells for energy. This is all fine when everything is balanced well. But if we have constantly elevated insulin levels, this can actually cause damage to the body, including hormonal imbalances like high testosterone levels, estrogen dominance, and low progesterone levels. So of course, having a break between meals does give us a chance to lower our insulin levels, though eating for balanced blood sugar is really the key to keeping insulin levels in check. So to recap that bit, If someone doesn't have SIBO or any gut problems, they can likely get away with snacking between meals without too much of a problem. The best option for health would be to give a few few hours gap between eating, if possible, if you want to. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. However, in someone with SIBO, and SIBO is very common in our community, we do find that what we call meal spacing is helpful. Meal spacing for SIBO has been studied and the ideal minimum time between meals is four hours with a 12-hour fast overnight. It used to be about six hours between meals, but they've actually seen good results with just four, which is great news for those of us who like to snack, including me. So four hours is kind of the minimum that we want to go between meals if we have SIBO and we're kind of trying to prevent relapse and recover and prevent symptoms. The problem is if you have unstable blood sugar or you just really enjoy a good snack, going that long between meals just isn't realistic and it may cause you to get stressed or in the worst case scenario, you may develop disordered eating. So here's a good rule of thumb. Try to leave some time between meals if and only if you can. But if you get hungry, don't leave yourself to start getting shaky or hangry or irritable because that's not great for the body or for endo either. Blood sugar fluctuations affect our hormones, whether they are spikes or dips. 
So preventing yourself from getting to that point of feeling like really starving is important for managing endo and your hormones. If you find yourself hungry a lot between meals, the chances are that your main meals are not keeping your blood sugar levels stable. So start working on those first and see if that helps over time. Remember, we've talked about this before, but with blood sugar balance in meals, we want fiber, fats, protein, and complex carbohydrates on the plate in one meal. And the general ratio is half the plate is low starchy veg, which is your fiber, a quarter of the plate is protein, and another quarter is the starchier carbs like beans or sweet potato. You then want to add your fat, which should be a minimum of about two heaped tablespoons, roughly. So, you know, say maybe half a small avocado or olive oil and tahini. For some of us with blood sugar challenges, you might find that reducing the starch sugar carbs a bit more and increasing the low starch carbs like green veggies is a better way to manage your blood sugar in the beginning. And then over time, you should be able to tolerate more starch. Additionally, if and when you do snack, choose snacks wisely. A complex carb that contains a nice amount of fiber like fruit paired with protein and fat will actually help you to stay fuller for longer and can help to keep blood sugar levels stable. If you just eat carbs alone, your body will use them for fuel more quickly and you will feel hungry again shortly after, which can create that kind of snacking cycle where you're kind of like eating every hour or something. You're just constantly grazing. If you try this and it works, great. Remember, it can take some time for your blood sugar levels to improve. So you may still find that for the first few months, you're still getting a bit hungry between meals, but you should start to see gradual improvements and just make sure when you are snacking, you're balancing your blood sugar. Now, if you don't see improvements, work with a practitioner. And if you don't have that kind of money, I suggest buying a cookbook called The Glucose Goddess Method, which is an absolutely fantastic resource for balancing blood sugar. I'm not sponsored to say that. I just go and check it out. The The cookbook's great. Her work is great. Um, I can't remember her full name, Jessie. Um, but it's a really good tool for balancing blood sugar in a sustainable way. You're not going to have to go keto. You're not going to have to fast. It's just really realistic, sustainable changes. Now, if you can't manage to go without snacking for whatever reason, just aim for some kind of break between dinner and breakfast. So 12 hours is optimal, but just do what you can. Some of my clients start with eight hours and then they build up to 10 and so on. Sometimes I do eight hours, sometimes I do 12 hours. If it's a Friday, I'm probably gonna only do eight hours because we end up eating late on a Friday and then we, you know, we get up and we have a breakfast. So don't kind of think too much into it. This is just a general rule of thumb. Now, some people get low blood sugar during the night, which may show up as waking up in the early hours feeling really wide awake and unable to sleep, waking up in the night hungry, or waking up in the morning just feeling absolutely starving and just desperate to eat. Low blood sugar at night is really just a symptom of imbalanced blood sugar during the day. So going back to working on your meals and snacks should begin to help, but check in with your dinner particularly because this might be the culprit. If it's a high carb meal, like pasta, start to play with your ratios to ensure you have enough fat, fiber, and protein. Because what will happen with a high carb meal at night is that, if it's not properly balanced, is that your blood sugar levels will spike 
and then they'll come crashing down at night whilst you're asleep, which will cause you to wake up as low blood sugar triggers a cortisol release and cortisol is our waking hormone, which wakes us up in the morning. The other issue with dinner is actually eating too little carbohydrate at night. So don't do the opposite thing, right? Don't go with a low carb dinner. Just focus on those ratios that I mentioned earlier and make sure you are getting some good quality carbohydrates on your plate. If you've tried that and it's still not helping, having a protein rich snack just before bed and then starting your fast from there can really help keep your blood sugar level stable overnight. That may mean your last meal is 10 p.m. and your first meal is 8 a.m., giving you a 10-hour fast and not a 12-hour one. But that's okay. Like I said, just do what you can. And just to be clear, I don't work with clients on meal spacing unless they have SIBO. So it's not like people come to me and I'm like, yeah, you need to fast overnight. You need to prevent snacking. No, that this is not this is not what we we do. But I just get this question a lot, so I thought I should address it. You know, if someone was really really struggling with um, their bloating, and they said to me that I I eat every hour, you know, I'm always hungry, then then we would look at that. Um, but I'm not going to go to. I'm not going to think about snacking first. That is not my initial thought. So I really don't want you to think that the snacking is the the thing that's driving the endo belly. So as I said, just do what you can. I also want to mention, if you're doing all that you can to balance your blood sugar and you're still struggling with getting hungry between, between meals and you really need to snack, it might be worth seeing a GI specialist. Many of us in this community have postural tachycardia syndrome or dysautonomia and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Both of these can cause issues with the gut, like accelerated stomach emptying, which means food doesn't have time to properly break down and absorb before it gets chucked out into the small intestine and into the large intestine. So you end up feeling hungry quickly afterwards. There are a few problems that these conditions can cause with the gut, not just accelerated stomach emptying, and some of them could even be driving some of your bloating or even a significant part of your bloating. So if you do have POTS or EDS, I actually recommend that you speak to your gastroenterologist, um, speak to a gastroenterologist who is specialised in these conditions, and they can actually perform a couple of tests to see how your digestive system is working. Now, the other challenge with avoiding snacking that I alluded to earlier is disordered eating patterns. Seeing snacking as bad is not going to be a helpful way to view our food and over time it can create obsessions or unhealthy behaviours like going without food even when we're hungry. If you're someone who has a history of an eating disorder or you're currently struggling, I really wouldn't worry about snacking and just go ahead and enjoy your food when you want, whenever that is. If you think it might help with your bloating, so say you do have SIBO and you're like, you know what, I snack a lot and I always notice I bloat after I snack, then you need to discuss this with a trained practitioner and a mental health professional. Both will be able to support you with this in a healthy way. But honestly, as I said already, avoiding snacking is really not the be all and endo when it be all and end all, not endo. Wow, you can tell where my brain's at. Um, when it comes to the endo belly. Uh, there are many other contributing factors and I can almost guarantee you, and when when do you hear me say I can guarantee you? I never do, but I can almost guarantee you that your snacking habits are not the key cul- culprit or even a runner-up. 
to like the reason you're having chronic bloating. So I wouldn't force yourself down this path of avoiding snacks if you know it's going to be triggering for you. So in short, yes, meal spacing and being mindful of our snacking habits may help with endo belly, but it's very unlikely to entirely resolve the problem alone. And if you have blood sugar balance problems or a history of an eating disorder, cutting out snacks cold turkey is probably going to cause you more problems so it's best to work with a practitioner. I'm not saying keep snacking in because it's great. I'm just saying if you need to snack, don't cut it out thinking it's going to solve all your endobelly problems because unfortunately with endobelly, it's never just one thing and the snacking is not going to be like a key driver of that. It might help, but it's not going to be, like I said, the be all end all. So let's not demonize snacking, but let's just be mindful of it. But let's just be mindful of it. Okay. I hope that clears things up a little bit. I hope it was helpful. Um, and I will see you guys next week. Bye. So if you found this episode helpful and you want to learn more about living well with endo or you'd like some further help, I wanted to remind you of the resources I have available to you and how you can work with me if you'd like to. So I obviously have hundreds of these episodes for you to binge on, and I do have two free columns. So one on endometriosis net and one on endometriosis news, and there are countless articles on there to help you thrive. You can also sign up to my newsletter for tips and updates. I have a digital cookbook and nutrition guide, This Endo Life, It Starts With Breakfast, which you can download for just $9.99. And if you want to go that step further, I have short and budget-friendly masterclasses in nutrition, surgery prep and recovery, and natural pain relief. I also have a DIY course, Live and Thrive with Endo, The Foundations, which you can sign up to at any time at a really affordable price point and you have lifetime access to. So you can go at your own pace and literally look back at it years down the line. This four module course will provide you with the most effective yet easy to digest tools and strategies to reduce your pain, fatigue, endo belly, brain fog and hormonal symptoms and allow you to live your life again. Each lesson includes the core foundational needle movers that I have seen work for my clients time and time and time again. You get all the essential information that you need to be endo without the overwhelm. Finally, you can apply to work with me one-to-one. This is my most advanced and personalized offer, so I only take a handful of clients. To find out the details and the application process, head to my coaching page. The links to all of these resources and ways to work with me are in the show notes. And finally, to help others find this podcast and reach as many people with endo as possible, please leave a review and please share with your friends and family and subscribe.